Chapter 6 of The Castaways of the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Castaways of the Flag by Jules Verne. Chapter 6 Time of Trial. It would have been difficult to find better quarters than those provided by this cave. The various recesses hollowed out inside it made capital separate rooms. It was a trifling disadvantage that these recesses, which were of varying depth, were rather dark during the day, and that the cave itself was never very light, for, except in bad weather, it would only be occupied at night. At earliest dawn Captain Gould would be carried outside to drink in the salt, invigorating air, and bask in the sunshine. Inside the cave, Jenny arranged to occupy one of the recesses with her husband. A larger one, sufficient to accommodate all three of them, was taken possession of by James Walston and his wife and little Bob. Frank contented himself with a corner in the large hall, where he shared the company of the skipper and the boatswain. The remainder of the day was given up entirely to rest. The boat's passengers had to recuperate after the many emotions of this last week, and the awful trial they had endured so bravely. Wisdom dictated their resolution to spend a fortnight in this bay, where material existence seemed to be secured for some time to come. Even if the captain's condition had not required that they do so, John Block would not have advised an immediate departure. In the evening, after a second meal of turtle soup and turtle flesh and eggs, Frank led them in prayer, and all went into the cave. Captain Gould, thanks to the ministrations of Jenny and Dolly, was no longer shaking with fever. His wound, now closing, gave him less pain. He was progressing rapidly towards complete recovery. To keep a watch during the night was needless. There was nothing to fear on this lonely shore, neither savages nor wild beasts. It was unlikely that these gloomy and depressing wastes had ever been visited by man before, the stillness was only broken by the harsh and melancholy cry of the seabirds as they came home to their crannies in the cliff. The breeze died gradually away, and not a breath of air stirred till the rising of the sun. The men were out at daybreak. First of all, John Block went down the beach along the promontory and made for the boat. It was still floating, but would soon be left high and dry by the ebb tide. Being fastened by hawsers on both sides, it had not bumped against the rocks even when the tide was at its highest, and as long as the wind continued to blow from the east, it could not come to harm. In the event of the wind veering to the south, they would see if it was necessary to look for other moorings. Meanwhile, the weather seemed to be definitely set fair, and this was the fine season. When he got back, the boatswain sought out Fritz and spoke to him about this. "'It's worth giving a little thought to,' he said. "'Our boat comes before everything else. "'A snug cave is fine, but one doesn't go to sea in a cave, "'and when the time comes for us to leave, if it ever does come, "'it's important that we shouldn't be prevented from doing so.' "'Of course, Block,' Fritz answered. "'We will take every possible care to prevent the boat coming to harm. "'Do you think perhaps there is a better mooring for her "'on the other side of the promontory?' "'We'll see, sir, and since everything is all right on this side, "'I will go round to the other and hunt turtles. 
Will you come with me? No, Block, go alone. I'm going back to the captain. This last good night's rest must have reduced the fever. When he wakes, he will want to discuss the situation. I must be there to tell him all that has happened. Quite right, Mr. Fritz, and mind you tell him that there is nothing to be uneasy about at present. The boatswain went to the far end of the promontory and sprang from rock to rock across the creek towards the place where he and Frank had come upon the turtles the day before. Fritz returned to the cave, up to which Frank and James were busy bringing armfuls of seaweed. Mrs. Woolston was dressing little Bob. Jenny and Dolly were still with the captain. In the corner of the promontory the fire crackled under the stove, and the kettle began to boil, white steam escaping from its spout. When Fritz had finished his conversation with the captain, he and Jenny went down to the beach. They walked a little way, and then turned back under the lofty cliff which enclosed them like a prison wall. Fritz spoke in tones of deep emotion. "'Dear wife, I must talk to you of what is in my heart. I can see you with me in the canoe, after I had found you upon the burning rock, and then our meeting with the pinnace, and our return to Rock Castle with all the others. Two happy years slipped by with nothing to mar their quiet happiness. You were the joy and charm of our circle.' We were so accustomed to life under those conditions that it seemed as if there were no world outside our island, and if it had not been for the thought of your father, beloved, perhaps we should not have sailed on the unicorn, perhaps we should never have left New Switzerland. "'Why do you talk now of this, Fritz, dear?' said Jenny, greatly moved. "'I want to tell you how heavy my heart has been since ill-fortune has set in upon us. "'Yes, I am full of remorse at having brought you to share it with me.' "'You must not fear ill-fortune,' Jenny answered. "'A man of your courage, your energy, will not give away to despair, Fritz.' "'Let me finish, Jenny. "'One day the unicorn arrived over there, off New Switzerland. "'She went away again and took us to Europe, "'and from that moment misfortune has never ceased to strike you.' "'Colonel Montrose died before he could see his child.' "'Poor father,' said Jenny, her eyes wet. "'Yes, that happiness was withheld from him, "'of clasping me in his arms, "'and rewarding my rescuer by placing my hand in his. "'But God willed otherwise, and we must submit.' "'Well, Jenny, dear,' Fritz went on, "'at all events you were there, back in England. "'You had seen your own land again.' You might have remained there with your own people and found quiet happiness. Happiness? Without you, Fritz? And then, Jenny, you would not have incurred fresh dangers, after all those which you had escaped so miraculously. Yet you consented to follow me back to our island again. Do you forget that I am your wife, Fritz? Could I have hesitated to leave Europe, to rejoin all those whom I love, your family, which is mine henceforward?' "'But, Jenny, Jenny, that does not make it less true that I drew you into fresh danger, and danger that I cannot think of without panic. Our present situation is desperate. Oh, those mutineers who called it all, who cast us adrift! And you, shipwrecked once in the Dorcas, now cast again upon an unknown island, even less habitable than burning rock?' "'But I am not alone. I have you, and Frank, and our friends, brave and determined men. Fritz, I shrink from no dangers present or to come. I know that you will do everything possible for our safety.' 
everything my darling fritz exclaimed but though the thought that you are there must double my courage yet it also grieves me so much that i want to throw myself at your knees and beg for your forgiveness it is my fault that fritz she answered clinging to him no one could possibly have foreseen the things which have happened the mutiny and our being cast adrift at sea far better forget the ill fortune and contemplate only the good we might have been murdered by the crew of the flag or doomed to the tortures of hunger and thirst in the boat we might have perished in some storm but instead we have reached a land which is not quite without resources which at least gives us shelter if we do not know what land it is we must try to find out and we will leave it if we find that we must to go whither my poor jenny somewhere else as our dear boatswain would say to go wherever god wills that we shall my dear wife fritz exclaimed you have given me back my courage yes we must fight on we will not give way to despair we will think of the precious lives that are confided to our care we will save them we will save them with the help of god on whom we never call in vain said frank who had overheard the last words spoken by his brother let us keep our trust in him and he will not forsake us under jenny's encouragement fritz recovered all his energy his companions were as ready as he was to spend themselves in superhuman efforts about ten o'clock as the weather was fine captain gould was able to come and stretch himself in the sun at the far end of the promontory the boatswain returned from his trip round the creek as far as the foot of the bluff to the east beyond that it was impossible to go even at low tide it would have been useless to attempt to get round the foot of this huge rock about which the surf beat violently john block had been joined by james in the creek and both brought back turtles and eggs these chelonies swarmed upon the shore in anticipation of an early departure it would be possible to lay in a large stock of their flesh which would secure a supply of food for the passengers after luncheon the men talked while jenny polly and susan busied themselves washing the spare linen in the fresh water of the stream it would dry quickly in the sun for the day was hot afterwards all the clothes were to be mended so that everybody might be ready to go aboard the boat again directly it should be decided to make a start they had important questions to answer what was the geographical position of this land was it possible to ascertain it without instruments within a few degrees taking the position of the sun at noon as a basis for calculation such an observation could not be absolutely accurate but to-day it seemed to confirm the opinion already advanced by captain gould that this land must lie between the fortieth and thirtieth parallels what meridian crossed it from north to south there were no means of ascertaining although the flag must have been somewhere in the western waters of the pacific ocean then the idea of reaching the upper plateau came up again pending the recovery of the captain was it not necessary to find out whether the boat had come ashore on a continent an island or a mere islet as the cliff was seven or eight hundred feet high it was quite possible that some other land might be visible a few miles out to sea so fritz and frank and the boatswain made up their minds to climb to the top of the cliff several days passed without bringing any change in the situation 
everyone realised the necessity of escaping from it somehow or other and all were seriously afraid that it might become worse the weather remained fine the heat was great but there was no thunder on several occasions john block and fritz and frank had walked round the bay from the western bastion as far as the bluff in vain they looked for a gorge or less precipitous slope by which they might gain the plateau above the wall rose sheer meanwhile the captain approached complete recovery his wound was healed though it was still bandaged the attacks of fever had become more and more rare and had now ceased his strength was coming back slowly but he could now walk unsupported he was always talking to fritz and the boatswain of the chances of another voyage in the boat northward on the morning of the twenty-fifth he was able to go as far as the foot of the bluff and agreed that it was impossible to walk round the base of it fritz who had accompanied him with frank and john block offered to dive into the sea and so get to the shore beyond but although he was an excellent swimmer there was such a current running at the foot of the bluff that the captain was obliged to order the young man not to put this dangerous idea into execution once borne away by the current who could say if fritz could have got back to the shore no said captain gould it would be rash and there is no good in running into danger we will go in the boat to reconnoitre that part of the coast and if we go a few cables length out we shall be able to get a more extended view of it unfortunately i am very much afraid that it will be found to be as barren everywhere as it is here you mean that we are on some islet frank remarked there is reason to suppose so the captain replied very well said fritz but does it follow that this islet is an isolated point why should it not be part of some group of islands lying to the north east or west what group my dear fritz the captain retorted if as everything goes to show we are in australian or new zealand waters here there is no group of islands in this part of the pacific because the charts don't show any does it follow that there aren't any fritz remarked the position of new switzerland was not known and yet quite true harry gould replied that was because it lies outside the track of shipping very seldom practically never do ships cross that bit of the indian ocean where it is situated whereas to the south of australia the seas are very busy and no island or group of any size could possibly have escaped the notice of navigators there is still the possibility that we are somewhere near australia frank went on a distinct possibility the captain answered i should not be surprised if we are at its southwest extremity somewhere near cape loivin in that case we should have to fear the ferocious australian natives and so the boatswain remarked it is better to be on an islet where at any rate one is sure not to run up against cannibals and that is what we should probably know if we could get to the top of the cliff frank added yes said fritz but there isn't a single place where we can do it not even by climbing up the promontory captain gould asked it is practicable although very difficult as far as halfway fritz answered but the upper walls are absolutely perpendicular we should have to use ladders and even then success isn't certain if there were some chimney which we could get up with ropes it might perhaps be possible to reach the top but there isn't one anywhere then we will take the boat and reconnoitre the coast 
said Captain Gould. "'When you are completely recovered, Captain, and not before,' replied Fritz firmly, "'it will be several days yet before—' "'I am getting better, Fritz,' the Captain declared. "'How could it be otherwise, with all the attention I have? "'Mrs. Walston and your wife and Dolly would have cured me merely by looking at me. "'We will put to sea in forty-eight hours at the latest.' "'Westward or eastward?' Fritz asked. "'According to the wind,' the Captain replied. "'And I have an idea that this trip will be a lucky one,' the boatswain put in. Fritz, Frank, and John Block had already done all but the impossible in their attempts to scale the promontory. They had got about two hundred feet up, although the gradient was very steep, by slipping from one rock to the next in the very middle of a torrent of landslides, with the agility of chamois or ibex. But a third of the way up they had come to a stop. It had been a highly dangerous attempt, and the boatswain had come within an ace of breaking some of his bones. But from that point all their attempts to continue the ascent were in vain. The promontory ended here in a vertical section with a smooth surface. There was not a foothold anywhere, not the tiniest projection on which the boat's ropes might have been caught, and they were still six or seven hundred feet from the top of the cliff. When they returned to the cave, Captain Gould explained the decision which had been reached. Two days hence, on the 27th of October, the boat was to leave her moorings to go along the coast. Had a trip of several days' duration been involved, everybody would have gone in the boat, but as only a general reconnaissance was contemplated, he thought it would be better that only he should go with Fritz and the boatswain. The three would be enough to handle the boat, and they would not go farther away to the north than they must. If they found that the coastline bounded nothing more than an islet, they could make the circuit of it and be back within twenty-four hours. Short as their absence might be, the idea of it excited great uneasiness. The rest of the party would not be able to see their companions go without much anxiety. How could they tell what might happen? Suppose they were attacked by savages, suppose they could not get back soon, suppose they did not come back at all. Jenny used these arguments with characteristic energy. She insisted that the many anxieties they endured already should not be added to by others arising from an absence which might be prolonged. Fritz sympathised with her arguments. Captain Gould accepted them, and ultimately it was agreed that they should all take part in the projected exploration. As soon as this decision had been arrived at, to the general satisfaction, John Block got busy putting the boat in order. Not that it required any repairs, for it had come to little harm since it had been cast adrift, but it was well to overhaul it and fit it up in anticipation of a possible extension of the voyage to some adjoining land. So the boatswain worked his hardest to make it more comfortable, enclosing the foredeck so that the women might have shelter from squalls and breaking waves. There was nothing more to do but wait and meanwhile lay in provisions for a voyage which might perhaps be longer than was intended. Besides, if it were necessary to leave Turtle Bay finally, ordinary prudence suggested that they should do so without delay, that they should take advantage of the fine season just beginning in these southern regions. They could not but quail before the idea of a winter here. True, the cave offered them a sure shelter against the storms from the south, which were appalling in the Pacific. The cold, too, could no doubt be faced, 
for there would be no lack of fuel thanks to the enormous collection of seaweed at the foot of the cliff but suppose the turtles failed would they be reduced to fish as sole diet and the boat where could they put that in safety out of reach of the waves which must break right up to the back of the beach in the winter would they be able to haul it up above the highest tide marks harry gould and fritz and the rest had only their arms to rely on not a tool not a lever not a lifting jack and the boat was heavy enough to resist their united efforts at this time of year there was happily nothing but passing storms to fear the fortnight that they had spent ashore had enabled them all to pick up their moral and physical strength as well as to recover confidence their preparations were completed in the morning of the twenty sixth fritz observed with some uneasiness that clouds were beginning to gather in the south they were still a long way off but were assuming a lurid hue the breeze was almost imperceptible yet the heavy mass of cloud was rising in a solid body if this thunderstorm burst it would burst full upon turtle bay hitherto the rocks at the far end of the promontory had protected the boat from the easterly winds from the other side too the westerly winds could not have touched it and firmly held as it was by hawsers it might have escaped too severe a buffeting but if a furious sea swept in from the open main it would be unprotected and might be smashed to pieces it was useless to think of trying to find some other mooring on the other side of the bluff or of the bastion for even in calm weather the sea broke there with violence what's to be done fritz asked the boatswain and the boatswain had no answer one hope remained that the storm might blow itself out before it fell upon the coast but as they listened they could hear a distant rumbling although the wind was very faint the sea was roaring out there in the distance and already intermittent flaws were sweeping over its surface giving it a livid tint captain gould gazed at the horizon we're in for a bad spell fritz said to him i'm afraid we are the captain acknowledged as bad a spell as our worst fears could have imagined captain the boatswain broke in this isn't a time to sit and twiddle one's thumbs we've got to use a little elbow grease as sailor men say let us try to pull the boat up to the top of the beach said fritz calling james and his brother we will try captain gould replied the tide is coming up and will help us meanwhile let us begin by lightening the boat as much as we can all buckled too the sails were laid upon the sand the mast unstepped the rudder unshipped and the seats and spars were taken out and carried within the cave by the time the tide was slack the boat had been hauled about twenty yards higher up but that was not enough she would have to be pulled up twice as far again to be out of reach of the waves having no other tools the boatswain pushed planks under the keel and all combined to pull and push but their efforts were useless the heavy boat was fixed in the sand and did not gain an inch beyond the last high-water mark when evening came the wind threatened a hurricane from the piled clouds in the zenith flash after flash of lightning broke followed by terrific peals of thunder which the cliff re-echoed in appalling reverberations although the boat had been left high and dry by the ebb tide the waves momentarily becoming stronger 
would soon lift it up from the stern, and now the rain fell in big drops, so heavily charged with electricity that they seemed to explode as they struck the sand on the shore. "'You can't stay outside any longer, Jenny dear,' said Fritz. "'Do go back into the cave, I beg you. You too, Dolly, and you too, Mrs. Walston.' Jenny did not want to leave her husband, but Captain Gould spoke authoritatively. "'Go inside, Mrs. Fritz,' he said. "'You too, Captain,' she replied. "'You must not expose yourself to a wetting yet.' "'I have nothing to fear now,' Harry Gould answered. "'Jenny, I tell you again, go back, there's no time to lose,' Fritz exclaimed. And Jenny, Dolly, and Susan took refuge in the cave, just as the rain, in which hail was mingled, began to rattle down like grape-shot. Captain Gould and the boatswain, Fritz, Frank, and James, remained near the boat, though it was with the utmost difficulty that they stood up against the squalls which swept the shore. The waves were breaking in the bay already, and throwing their spray right over it. The danger was acute. Would it be possible to sustain the boat against the shocks which were rolling from one side to the other? If it were broken up, how would Captain Gould and his companions be able to get away from this coast before the winter? All five stood by, and when the sea came farther up and lifted the boat, they hung on to its sides, trying to steady it. Soon the storm was at its height. From twenty places at once, tremendous flashes of lightning burst. When they struck the bastions, they tore off fragments, which could be heard crashing upon the heaps of seaweed. An enormous wave, twenty-five or thirty feet high at least, was lifted up by the hurricane and dashed upon the shore like a huge water-spout. Caught in its grip, Captain Gould and his companions were swept right up to the heaps of seaweed, and it was only by a miracle that the enormous wave did not carry them back with it as it drew again to the sea. The disaster feared so much had befallen them. The boat, torn from its bed, swept up to the top of the beach, and then carried down again to the rocks at the end of the promontory, was smashed, and its fragments, after floating for a moment in the creaming foam of the backwater, disappeared from view round the bend of the bluff. End of chapter 6